Okay, so the book of Ezra, you know, it's encouraging just thinking that there is any book after Second Chronicles. Because what we saw in Second Chronicles was so utterly terrible and wicked and evil the history of Israel should have ended there. Uh, if was, thank God I'm not God because I, if I was God, I would be like, that's it. You know, I, I, these people, uh, this history needs to, needs to end. The Israelites had been uh, brought down to Egypt. Jacob and about 70 others came down and uh, when Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt, they had sold him into slavery, his brothers did, and they didn't know it, but he became prime minister. And when they were starving for food, uh, Joseph, because of the wisdom that he had gotten from God, uh, had accumulated for years wheat, and so the whole world was going to him, and his brothers appeared. Eventually, they found out he was their lost brother that they had sold into slavery. He forgave them. Um, but then, they, at some point, they left the Lord. They were made slaves for, so for a couple hundred years, um, probably at least, they were slaves. And, and the Israelites saw uh, through ten incredible miracles the Lord bring the most powerful ruler in the world to his knees and that ruler Pharaoh of Egypt Moses is saying let my people go finally says okay you can you can you can go so they leave Pharaoh changes his mind. They get up to the side of the Red Sea. Um, they can't go anymore. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, the Israelites go through. The Egyptians follow. And then the sea goes over them, kills them all. In spite of continual, continual rebellion in the wilderness, um, God sustains them for 40 years. He brings them through another river, the River Jordan. The River Jordan parts, they go in there. And then they, they, they defeat nations mightier, greater than them, nations with walls around their city uh, that were virtually impenetrable. They saw the walls of Jericho fall forward. They go in. They see the mighty victories of the Lord. And uh, along the way, they were given the law, the law of God. Moses was given the law. They're given the word of God. They are... Uh, they, they, they're given a, a King David, who is a man after God's own heart, who is an example of someone uh, uh, to follow. Of course, he, the, they were promised through David a descendant who would be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the whole world. They had seen what happens when a people follow God under David. Uh, the people prospered under Solomon. It says every person had a vineyard and a fig tree. How many people like figs? Once upon a time, that was like the delicacy, figs. I like figs. It's one of those 
foods that you like old, you like as you get older, you know? Like Fig Newtons when you're a kid, but someone gives you a regular fig. It's like, get a little older, you'll like figs. But um, they saw the great prosperity uh, under Solomon, David's son. They had, um, there was so much gold in the land. The Bible says, this is a verse in the Bible, that silver was counted as nothing. Just tremendous prosperity. But uh, Solomon, somewhere in the latter half of his reign, he rebels against the Lord. The kingdom is split in two, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom never had a good king after 200 years, even though God sent all his heavyweights up there. He sent Elijah. He sent Elisha. Uh, they never repented. And after 200 years, the, a foreign army came in, the Assyrians, and scattered them all over the world. Uh, in the south, the south lasted, uh, uh, the southern kingdom and, uh, around Jerusalem, Judah was called, uh, lasted, I think, about 100 and, uh, 120 years, yeah, 120 years longer. And there were eight good kings in the south, although that would have included David himself. But there, uh, from time to time, there was great revivals. We've, we read about them under Hezekiah, under Jehoshaphat, under Asa. Uh, uh, the thing, it was so good under Asa, the whole country, it says, was seeking God with all their heart. I mean, astonishing. So, so they had experienced and they had seen what it's like when a people actually follow and live for God. But the second chronicles towards the latter chapters we saw what happened uh, they uh, I, I, it's it's almost incredible to read but uh, after they had seen so much good, so much prosperity, they had been given the word, they had been given examples um, under Manasseh the it says things got so bad that the people began doing the evil things that the nations who Israel had pushed out was, uh, had been doing before them, in fact, worse. And we went through Leviticus chapter 18 through the list, and, and, and it's just so evil that it, it makes me very uncomfortable even reading this stuff. And the, it says that the innocent blood was from ran from one side of Jerusalem to the other. It was just so, so wicked. And because of the sin of, uh, of Manasseh and the rebellion of Manasseh, we are told that God just eventually comes in. Under the Babylonian king, Babylon was modern-day Iraq, 900 miles away, came in three times, gave them a chance, uh, to, gave them two chances to, to cooperate with him. And the prophet Jeremiah was telling the people of Israel, listen, just cooperate with this guy. Just cooperate with him. They didn't. They rebelled anyway. And so he comes in and completely destroys Jerusalem. Nothing but rubble. The temple, the walls, everything. Destroyed it. Now, I would have think, thought that that would have been the end. That's at the end of Second Chronicles. And in fact, if you are super, if you're really into history, um, that has been the end of every civilization that did the same thing. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, 
uh, civilizations all around the world were doing the same thing, and they got so bad that the Lord, they're, they're, it says that the sin, uh, the Bible says that, but for the mercies of God, sin will destroy you. Your own sin will destroy you. Now, some of you know exactly what I mean by that. Because <laughs> your sin was destroying you, and for reasons completely by the mercy and grace of God, he comes in and plucks you out. But if you look at the history of the world, that actually happened. Different civilizations just wiped out their sin, completely consumed them, completely. And up to the time um, of the book of Second Chronicles, their civilizations would, you know, they'd rise up. Um, over, there would be some prosperity for a while. Their sin would consume them. And um, they would just disperse and, and uh, they wouldn't exist anymore. In fact, the, you know, with a nation like the, 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 the Assyrians who had come in and taken the northern kingdom of Israel and dispersed them all over the world, most of the time, well, 99.9% .9 of the time, the, 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 the nations who they did that to, so the Assyrians used to do this. They used to... Uh, they used to um, defeat a nation, they would take it, dismantle it, and send the people everywhere, and within a few generations, a number of generations, the nation wouldn't even exist anymore. There wouldn't be those people didn't exist anymore. It didn't, so you would have thought that it would happen like after Second Chronicles, like it's happened with every other nation that had ever existed to the time who did the same thing, because we all end up in a downward spiral of sin, but for the grace of God. So every other nation, including Israel, had done the same thing. The Bible says that we inherited from Adam and Eve that, that just that inclination to sin and rebel against the Lord and be a God substitute. No, I don't want you as God. I'm going to be God. And, and so what we do is we just make up our own rules. The Bible calls it each man, each of us does what is right in our own eyes. And we just, uh, you know, we, we just consume ourselves with our own sin. So why didn't it happen to Israel, because Israel got to the same place. Why didn't it happen? Why is there a book of Ezra? By the way, the book of Ezra is about the next chapter of Israel's history where they are actually sent back to the place that God had destroyed and they rebuild it. Did I make a mistake? Okay, what did I say? Okay. So, so, so they sent them back to Judah and Jerusalem, the place that had been completely destroyed. Um, that's what the book of Ezra is about. Now, why is it, someone shouted out, why is it that Israel's different than every other nation that had ever existed who, who basically disintegrates and they're, they're, most of them are lost to history? We don't even know the name um, of the civilization. Why was Israel different? Someone shouted out. They're God's people, that's good. Just go a little more narrow than that. The Messiah. God had promised, well it starts with, actually it starts with, with Abraham. Where under Noah, God said, okay, I'm going to wipe out the world. Because Genesis 6 says the thoughts of 
every man were only evil all the time. That's an actual Bible verse. Can you imagine that? Their thoughts were only evil all the time. God destroys the world in the flood. Same thing happens, I don't know how long, between Noah and Abraham. Was it 800 years or, or longer than that? I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was. Same thing happens. They go back down. Everything, everyone's doing only evil all the time. But rather than initiate another flood or plan of judgment and destruction, he initiates what? A plan of redemption under Abraham. And he promised Abraham, through your descendant, he didn't name the descendant, but we know that descendant to be Jesus Christ. Every nation of the world is going to be blessed. And so through, um, um, through Abraham, of course, the, the children of Israel rise up. So there's a book after Second Chronicles. Why? Because God had promised redemption. He had promised salvation. And I got to tell you, just the very fact that the book is here, I hope it encourages you. You simply cannot rebel too long and too much that God will not allow someone to come back and let me rephrase that. No matter how long you rebel against God, and no matter how long during that rebellion, how bad you are, the Bible teaches if you cry out to God. I just read this morning in Psalm 119. It says, I sought the Lord with my whole heart. If you do that, He will have mercy on you and bring you back. It's just written in stone in the Bible. (laughs) And... That's why we have Ezra. Uh, Daniel and others were crying out to the Lord. Daniel had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar back to um, Babylon, and he and others were crying out to the Lord. And so Ezra, in the book of Ezra, we're going to read about Israel coming back. Let's read the first verse. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. Fanny, Fanny, are you you, uh, recording this? All right. He made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you, all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock. Besides the free will offerings for the house of God, 
which is in Jerusalem. Okay, so what is going on here? It says again in verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, what was the word of the Lord in the mouth of Jeremiah? Okay, what was that word? First of all, when did Jeremiah live? Jeremiah lived towards the end of the book of Second Chronicles, where we see um, um, Judah and Jerusalem just rebelling and going worse and getting worse and worse and worse. He was prophesying um, uh, against them. He was prophesying against them. He was telling them, you guys are going to be in big, big trouble. And one of his prophecies is in Jeremiah 25, where he says to the people who were just rebelling like crazy, doing whatever they want, and he told them, because you have not heard my words, thus says the Lord, I will send and take all the families of the north, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years." Then it will come to pass when the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation for their, for their iniquity. So that's Jeremiah 25. So he, he tells them, this is before the Babylonians had come in and destroyed anything, before the Babylonians had come in at all. He said, there is this king, Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to come and he's going to uh, destroy this place and he's going to take a lot, uh, you know, he's going to take many back to uh, Babylon for 70 years. And, and they were laughing at him, or either that or they were throwing him to the bottom of a well, which they did to Jeremiah. They, they really treated him really bad. But four chapters after that, and in Jeremiah 29, he gives another prophecy which says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, being the children of Israel, and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Speaking of Jerusalem, and then he goes and quotes one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me 
with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I just want to repeat that because this is really important. As I said before, no matter how long you have been in fighting against the Lord, whether it's one day, one year, 10 years, or 40 years, the Bible says that if you repent and call, just like this says in verse 12 and 13, if you repent and you call upon the Lord and you seek Him and search for Him with all your heart, He will be found by you. It's just a fact. It doesn't make any sense. I would have ended the Old Testament after Second Chronicles finishes. But I'm not God. He doesn't end it. He sticks with His Word and his word is, you call upon me, I will listen, I will be found by you. And then it says, and I will bring you back. Perhaps you're in here tonight, and you've been in rebellion. The Bible says that there's nothing that you can do for all, the, for all your selfishness, for all your stubbornness, for all your rebellion. There's nothing you can do other and cry out to him. None, no, no amount of good works is going to win him back into your favor. But crying out to him will. You will be found by him. And he'll bring you back. So Jeremiah 25 and 29, he predicts you're going to be destroyed, you're going to be taken to a foreign land, and you're going to be there 70 years, and then you're going to come back. So Ezra is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 29, where uh, this king, King Cyrus, who had come in, destroyed the Babylonians. Now he, not Nebuchadnezzar and, and his, his son and grandson, but the Babylonians were defeated by this guy Cyrus. Now he's king of all the kingdoms, no longer the Babylonians. And he says, okay, anyone who's a Jew... Go back now and build your temple. It's nothing but rubble. Go back. And actually, he offers to finance this thing, although he also tells the other Jews who stay behind, you, you give them money too. And, 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 and some people say, well, why? Why is all of a sudden this king? You say, is this king a Christian? Is he a believer in Jehovah? No, he's not. He's a total pagan. He's like a Hindu. Hindus believe hundreds and hundreds of gods. He, he, he believes many gods, this guy Cyrus, but he's, you know, he, he takes the, the low risk thing where just in case this god is not the right god, I'm going to believe that god too. And just in case that god isn't the right god, I'm going to believe that one, etc., etc., etc. So he believes many gods. And Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is just one. And he finds out that there had been this guy, Jeremiah, this prophet who had mentioned him, Cyrus, by name about 150 years earlier. It's true. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, the prophet Isaiah, 150 years before Cyrus is even born, mentioned Cyrus. And so in Isaiah 45, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord who was anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, uh, to open 
before him the double door so that the gates will not be found. And, um, and, and, and this prophecy is given in, in Isaiah 45 that, that Cyrus is, is going to be the one to basically bring Israel back according to the Jewish historian Josephus, someone had shown him this prophecy in Isaiah. Someone ha- certainly had to. And he sees this, he's like, wow, this guy knows my name, and this is 150 years ago. And so he makes this proclamation, and he makes it to all the Jews. Okay, listen, time to go back. So the mercy of the Lord. They're told to go back. It says, verse 3, Who is among you of all his people? Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So he's basically, he's calling the Jews to go back from this area of Babylon and travel 900 miles. That's not today with bullet trains and cars and planes and a lot of these people by the way had prospered greatly as we'll see they were told they would prosper greatly by the way they were told by the prophet jeremiah just submit to this guy to this guy nebuchadnezzar and god's going to prosper you right there he will prosper you right there so a lot of them have a lot of money but they're but but um they are um, the, 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 the emperor tells them, whoever among you is stirred, let him go back and rebuild Jerusalem. By the way, one of the families that went back were from the tribe of Judah, but rather than going back to Judah, they went to a place called Nazareth. Those people were the descendant, which was not in Judah, it was in the north, in the northern, northern Israel. The word Nazareth means in Hebrew, people of the branch. And the branch, branch in Hebrew, it's Natsur. In the Old Testament, one of the one of the names for the Messiah is the branch, not sir. And that's where Jesus' descendants went back. So Jesus' descendants had gone to uh, Babylon, but they came back at this time uh, in the book of Ezra. It says um, in verse 5, then the heads of the fathers, let's read verse 5, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Which, again, at this time, had been burnt down. There's nothing but rubble. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also, verse 7, 
brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem, and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia brought them out by the hand of Mithradath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them. 39 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a, of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shishbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So, when Nebuchadnezzar had gone in about 70 years earlier, it would have been a little less than 70 years, but um, uh, it would have been like 55. I think the first time Nebuchadnezzar went in there was 70 years, but he didn't destroy the place till what was it, 10 or 15 years later? But when he went in and destroyed it, he took back, I guess, no, each time he went in, Nebuchadnezzar went three times to Jerusalem, the last time he destroyed it, but each time he took back things from the temple. He took them back and he put them in another temple. And they, there they just sat. They were stored. Here, Cyrus is taking the stuff out and bringing it back. Now, I tell you, one of the things that I encourage people when they are in a situation which they do not see a human solution to their situation. They're like, I'm surrounded by so much trouble here. There is no way out. And what I usually like to tell them, and this didn't originate with me, but obviously, but it's just, listen, God has resources you know nothing about. He has resources you know nothing about. Well, let me ask you a question. If you are in Jerusalem witnessing some enemy coming in and emptying out every piece of gold and silver and carting them 900 miles away, who in their right mind would ever think all that stuff is coming back? I mean, <laughs> obviously, that's never going to happen. But the Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord actually protected all that stuff for 70 years. And now it's coming back. And so again, in your life, the Bible does say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He has resources you know nothing about. I'm sure all of you have different testimonies to, to, to that effect, but, but the most important thing is God's Word says it. That we can trust him. And he, he had promised that this nation, the nation of Israel, he would sustain them until Messiah came. And so uh, uh, here they are. They're coming back. Look at verse, verse 5 for a second. It says, Then the heads of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. 
A couple things there, briefly. One, um, we notice here that not everyone was called to go back. And so many Jews stayed there in Babylon. They stayed back. They didn't go. There's a book written about them. Someone shout it out. What is that book? What? No. <laughs> What's the book that's written about the people who stay behind? Stephanie. Esther. That is correct. The people who stay behind, there's a book written about them. There is, it, it really, there's no real good reason to, to believe Although, yeah, I've gone back and forth on this over the years. But as I look at this, particularly that verse, it says, those whose spirit God had moved. And if you look at the faithfulness of Mordecai and the, and the folks in the book of, of Esther, that they were in any kind of rebellion. They just didn't go. Matthew 7, verse 1 says, do not judge others, lest you be judged. And sometimes the Lord's going to move you to do something for him, and just because someone else is not doing it doesn't mean that you look down on him. But the other thing that's, uh, that, that this says, just that little verse there, it says, he whose God, uh, it says, all whose spirits God had moved. And... If there's one thing that I've learned at Calvary Chapel over the years, it's that if God doesn't move the spirits of people, nothing's going to get done. And some of you have heard me say this kind of thing at ministry meetings, but from time to time someone will come up and they have a great ministry idea. You guys should do this ministry and here's, how you, here's what the ministry is. And they'll go through an explanation of the ministry. And, well, has God called you to do this? Well, no. Well, if God doesn't move someone's spirit to do it, it's not going to happen. And I marvel all the time about the spirit, about how God moves the spirit of people to just to get up and to lead. And I do think, like, what, what would happen if that didn't happen? This church wouldn't exist. We wouldn't operate. And so God has moved the spirit of a couple guys to go down to Kensington in August. Two of them are in this room by the name of Gio and Eldon. And who's going to go with them? <laughs> Don't raise your hand until you pray about it, until you know God's spirit has moved you. But... but uh, it really is a principle of ministry. When, when, when I ask someone, are you interested in this or that ministry, and they, and they say yes on the spot, I say, well, no, I'm not going to accept that. You need to pray about it a few days to make sure that you have a peace about it because a good idea is not necessarily God's idea. And, and, and so God moves the spirit of his people. It's just a beautiful thing. That's how churches operate. It's really how families operate as well. It says he moved the spirit of the people. And um, many, many people uh, get up and they go. And that is what 
chapter 2 is about. So they go in three stages. The first stage, there's this guy named Zerubbabel. And uh, he comes up and he leaves in approximately, for, for those of you who are interested in this stuff, and I hope some of you are, 538 B.C., before Christ. And Ezra comes up about 40 years later. He returns 40 years later. That's the writer of this book in 458 B.C. They, they come up to, uh, Zerubbabel had come up to, uh, to build the temple. And then Nehemiah comes up about 15 years after Ezra to build walls around the temple. And so... That's, we're going to be reading about Ezra and Nehemiah for the, for, the, for the next couple of months. But chapter 2 is about the people who come up. So let's start chapter 2. Again, God had stirred. And by the way, for those of you who are here, is God stirring your spirit to do something? Don't disobey Him, please! <laughs> Just for your own Good and, and the good of the, uh, of the church, don't disobey him. How often I've heard someone say, you know, God was telling me to do this thing and I didn't do it, and like five years later, just obey. I love those pictures. Speaking um, the book of Ezekiel, who's one of the people who were prophesying to Israel from Babylon. He was living in Babylon. Those pictures of the angels. Remember that first couple of chapters of Ezekiel? The angels just dart to and fro based upon what the word of God was telling them. It's like immediately, immediately, it's the second that God, the, the thought comes into God's mind, somehow they renew it, and it would dart, dart. And it, it, the, it's the best way to obey, folks. I have scars all over my body because of waiting to obey God. When he says something, do it. And he'll speak to you with a still small voice. Uh, he will. That you'll learn to, uh, that you'll learn to, uh, uh, to, to hear over time more and more. But these are the people who came up. Verse 2, now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity. Of who, those who had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. And so now there's a long list of names. There's about a hundred. Anyone want to come up here and read all these names? I don't think, any, no, because you're not going to want people throwing stuff at you. Stop, stop, stop. Don't torture us. I'm not going to read every name here, but it's a list of names who, uh, of people who obeyed. I, I think this is really cool. This is also in the book of Malachi. Is it chapter three or four where it just says, God wrote down the names of the people who sat around and talked about how much they loved them. He actually wrote down the names the Bible says in the Lamb's book of life that your name is written in it if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And these names are lost to history, most of them. There's a couple of them that we know because there's a story told about them, but the vast majority 
We don't know these people, 99% of them. We don't know anything about them. But it was important enough to the Holy Spirit to write down these names, the people who had obeyed God. Verse 2 says, those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, not the Nehemiah of the book, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, not the Mordecai from Esther, this is a different one, Bilshan, Mispar, Big, Bigva, Rehum, and Bana, the number of the men of the people of Israel. And so, those first two names there, one was Zerubbabel, he was the governor. Jeshua, in verse 2, he was the high priest. And you can imagine the courage that it took to leave your families, your houses. They had houses. God had prospered in there. They, they were not living in Babylon in poverty. God had prospered in there just like Jeremiah had told them. You go to Listen, you, you stay put now. You've, you've rebelled. God's brought you to this place, Babylon. But just stay put, obey the king, and God will prosper you there. And then after 70 years, you'll come back. These people, got, they have money. But you can imagine the courage and the faith. The Bible says the just live by faith. It also says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. What you can only imagine just based on the prop proclamation of an emperor, go back and to that rubble that's there and just rebuild everything. You can imagine the courage that it took. Now, it did say the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to him. God does. He speaks to you by His Spirit. But this is a wonderful, beautiful, powerful act of obedience here. And you don't have to go there with me, but the first two listed there, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Joshua is the high priest. Zerubbabel is the, is the governor. From the book of Zechariah, there's a... Uh, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is one of the prophets who encouraged them. So after the Israelites got to, after the Israelites got to, um, to Jerusalem, there's, there's nothing there. there. Poor people had been left behind. There's rubble. There's people who hated them. We're going to get to all that. People who wanted to, who discouraged them. Just Satan's lies, lies, lies. What are you guys doing here? You're a bunch of weaklings. They needed to, you know, after God calls you to do something, you don't stop calling upon Him. You cry out to God, Lord, I want to do Your will. He goes, He has you start doing it. You don't stop. You cry out louder and louder. The Lord called us to me, the Lord called Stephanie and me to return to, uh, up here to start a church. Believe me, the crying only started when it was in my name. It really got going after it was here. I mean, God, help me. You know, who are you? And tell us what to do. And one of the coolest stories about these first two people who are listed here in verse 2, Zerubbabel and Joshua, is in Zechariah chapter 2. It, it says this. It says the prophet, it says the prophet, uh, it says God showed me, Zechariah, the prophet, 
Joshua, or Joshua the high priest, standing, standing before the Lord, and Satan at his right hand to oppose him. So, this guy who's mentioned right here, the, Zerubbabel, the, the Jeshua is the second guy, had Satan at his right hand, and Satan was opposing him, and he didn't even know he was there. Listen, demons oppose you, you don't see them. They are in the unseen realm. They're opposing you. And so these demons, the devil, the Satan himself, Satan knows about the promise of the Messiah, by the way. That's why he has been opposing Jews for all of history. And so he's literally by this guy named, the second one mentioned there, Joshua, he's opposing him. I'm sure the guy's all discouraged. He's like, why am I here? I have no right to be a high priest. Why does anyone call me a high priest? I'm a loser. Satan's, those are lies from Satan. Satan's opposing him. Verse 2 says, the Lord said to Satan, of course, um, Josh, Joshua the high priest isn't hearing any of this, but it says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Meaning, this guy Joshua, like all of us, has been plucked from hell and is now chosen for heaven and for salvation. So Zechariah is encouraging this guy Joshua. Listen what I heard. I heard this conversation between the Lord and Satan about you. It says Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, just like all of us, and was standing before the angel. And then he, God, the Lord, answered and spoke to those who stood before him, Take away the filthy garment from him. See if I have removed your iniquity and I will clothe you with rich robes, just like you have been clothed with the rich robes of Jesus Christ. But those are just, that's just a conversation about the first, uh, that's something from the book of Zechariah that, that happens with, with these first two people that are mentioned there in verse 2. So God called them there, but once they were there, the Lord continued to encourage them. God's gonna, has called you. He's called you to a particular calling, and He doesn't leave you as, a, as an orphan. He will encourage you. He will he encourage you through His Word and by His Spirit. The Lord encourages. He encourages. He encourages. And so he goes through these lists of people uh, in Ezra chapter 2. And again, I'm not going to go through all of them. Note in verse 21, the people of Bethlehem, 123. But that's not where the descendants of Judah went back to. Because remember, Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Because the Roman emperor had ordered a, a census. But uh, Bethlehem shows up there. Verse 28, Bethel, the men of Bethel show up. These, all these people are going back to their city. Verse 34, the people of Jericho there. And then in verse 36, uh, the priests are, are sent back. And uh, verse 40, the Levites, meaning the church workers or the temple workers are uh, sent back. By the way, if you do all the math, I understand that this is about 10% or more between the priests and the Levites. This is going to be God's people need to have the word. They need uh, the sacrifice. They need the temple. We need to be with each other, Calvary Chapel in the city. 
We need to be with each other. Do not let anyone try to convince you, oh, I just need my Bible and Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need to be at a church. I'm not into the institutional church. That's the line that people lead. That, that people use. The problem with that is throughout the Bible, particularly like something like Ephesians chapter 4 specifically says, the church, the local church, this church is called the body of Christ. So if you're avoiding the body of Christ, you're avoiding Jesus. And so these, uh, God sends 10% of the people or more, it's the people to operate the church. It's not called a church, of course, at that time. It's called the temple. Verse 41, the singers, the worshipers, you see, God, the Lord knows what he's doing. He, ne- he knows they need music. We're spiritual people. Music is a spiritual thing. Music is something to our spirit. And something happened to your spirit as Manuel was up here worshiping. I hope it did. Singing to encourage them. Verse 42, sons of the gatekeepers. Those would have all also been, um, that, so those are temple workers. Verse 43, the Nethanim. The Nethanim, I believe that's under Solomon there were, or David. There wasn't enough temple workers, so another group of people called the Nethanim were raised up to help. Verse 55, the sons of Solomon's servants. These were just descendants of some servants. Solomon needed a lot of servants. That dude needed a lot of servants because he had a lot of stuff to take care of. And these are just descendants of him. Verse 59, And these were the ones who came up from Telmea, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, Emer, but, the, but they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. So there were some people who couldn't even prove they were Jews. But the Spirit of God stirred them. Listen, Go up anyway. I want you to go with these people. They couldn't prove they were Jews, but they were allowed to go anyway. And then you, you, there's some, in verses 60 through 62, there are folks who couldn't prove they were priests. Verse 62, they sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they could not be found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled, meaning in the sense that they weren't allowed to go into the holy place or the most holy place. Now, that would be a good thing because if you go into the most holy place and you're not a priest, you die. So better not to take any chances. And we talked about that in the past. Listen to our messages in Leviticus if you want to read about that happening. Uh, to, to different people. Uh, well, actually, it's Numbers. Um, numbers is the one where people who were not told that they could come before the presence of the Lord actually died. They went up with strange fire and they died. Verse 64, the whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, you see, these were people of means. They had servants of whom there were 7,337, and they had about 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736. Their mules, 245. Their camels, 435. And their donkeys, 6,000.
1,720. Wow, a lot of donkeys. Verse 68, some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. So there you have it. Just like that, they're back. They are back in Israel. It was a different place, a much different place. Right before the pandemic, I returned to Caracas, Venezuela, where my family moved when I was a kid, and when I was 16, 17 years old, for the first time ever, I heard the gospel in a little Baptist church. And uh, I didn't give my life to the Lord because I was in sin, but I knew exactly what I needed to do, but I didn't do it. About eight years later, I started walking with the Lord because of that original um, word that was given me, and uh, Caracas had a very um, Caracas had a very uh, special place in my heart, and the Calvary Chapel has started there, and I went back right before COVID, and the place is, is really, really sad. It used to be the wealthiest country in Latin America. Now it's the poorest. The government there has really, really destroyed the, comp- the, the country. And it was just sad driving around the places that I knew because um, everything just looked in decay. If you, but if you multiply my disappointment times 100, that's what you would have with the Jews going back to Jerusalem, it was destroyed. Many of these people going, you know, some of these people going back, we'll read later, they were actually, had seen Jerusalem, because they were older, or coming back. They would have been quite old by this time, but, and you can only imagine their disappointment, um, because it just had been reduced to rubble, the temple had been burned, and yet, we read in the book of Zechariah, I had, I had read it before, where Zerubbabel was told by God, he was told by God, he says, basically, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, go up to the rubble and shout grace, grace, grace to the rubble. And that's what God does with you. you your life can be made rubble. But let me tell you, when, when the Holy Spirit is shouting grace at your rubble, he's going to put all that back together and make something beautiful. And he did. He did make something beautiful. And it says the glory, in the book of Haggai, it says the glory of the second temple will be greater than the glory of the first. And you know why? Not because it was physically more beautiful, but because Jesus Christ showed up in that second temple. A temple that had been rebuilt. Herod makes it a lot more beautiful later on, but um, uh, before Jesus shows up. But um, it was because 
the glory was greater because Jesus Christ was going to show up there. And he did. Like Malachi said, he suddenly appeared in the temple of the Lord. 